Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. And we go to the North Olmsted Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram hotline and bring in Dogs by Nature writer Barry Shook. Barry, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing real well. It's Mardi Gras season along the Gruff Coast. We went to parade last night. We're going uh, to another one today. Listen, listen, you're living a life, man. Um, I had to scrape, um, and, you know, uh, ice off my windshield with a crowbar, but... You know, at least somebody somewhere is enjoying themselves and enjoying that little weather down there. I appreciate you, man, coming on this this Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd like, being Black History Month at the tail end of it, I'd like to tell you the story about how the NFL became reintegrated. Let's you ready do, for that? Let's do it, man. We we kind of talked about this off air. And every time I – and I feel bad. Every time you reach out to me, I'm like, no, no, no. Don't say anything. We'll save this for the air. So um, I'm yeah, ready yeah. to hear the second half of the story, man. So what do you got? Yeah. So 1920, the league started, and they actually – the Akron Pros actually had a black head coach named Fritz Pollard. Now, he's gotten some notoriety in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. He was a player coach. So that's the – First official black head coach in the NFL was 1920, and they won the league. Um, the the um, the Great Depression hit 1929, and from 1930 to 1945, there were no black players in the NFL. Now, none of the owners uh, from that time period will own up to this, but they had a gentleman's agreement not to hire black players, and the reason behind that. Well, and if you look at team photos from teams in the in the 20s, there'll be various black players sprinkled about on, on various clubs in the photos, mm-hmm. but not in 1930 or the year after that. And subsequent years, all the way up to 1949, uh, 1945, um, <clears throat> when the Great Depression began in 1929, as the years rolled along, many folks were becoming resentful that black athletes were taking jobs away from their white counterparts. Now, the owner of the Boston Redskins was George Preston Marshall, who was a very famous bigot. He didn't deny it. He was front and center with it. Uh, he developed a campaign among the NFL owners that none of the clubs would employ black players until at least the recession had concluded. Well, after the recession was over with, Marshall and a few other prejudice owners pushed to keep the league standard that same way by not being integrated by black athletes. Even during World War II, Garrett, 
when players in the league were in great shortage, for instance, the Pittsburgh Steelers in 1943 had three players. Mm -hmm. The Philadelphia Eagles had 16 players. They formed together and formed one team called the Steagles. And there were other teams that, that did that to where they didn't have enough players. Well, even during that shortage, not a single black athlete was hired nor was even invited to a, a tryout. Now, this was despite the fact that in college football, black players dominated at key positions. So by 1939, the Great Depression was all but over, yet the gentleman's agreement still remained. Now, this is how the NFL changed all that. Dan Reeves was owner of the Cleveland Rams. For years, he had tried to move the Rams to the West Coast to play in Southern California. The other owners said no, and the reason for that was because of travel. Back then, it was by train and by bus. You've read stories about teams going by train, haven't you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but 1946, air travel came. So he was pushing for for the owners to vote for him to go. Well, he knew that the AAFC was starting. He knew that the Cleveland Browns were coming to town. And at the time, Paul Brown was the most famous sports figure in the state of Ohio. And he wanted to get out of town. He wanted to get out of town quick. So um, the AAFC was a new eight-team rival league. They would compete for players and coaches and scouts. And finally, the owners relented and let him move to Los Angeles. Okay. There was a problem, though. There was a snag. In fact, it was a huge snag. The only stadium large enough to host NFL games in Los Angeles was the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. It was the current home of USC and UCLA's college games, and it was perfect for the pro game, and it seated, I I think, just under 78,000. But it was owned by the city of Los Angeles, and the city of Los Angeles allowed all races and creeds of uh, people to use their facilities as a public domain. Mm. Well, the the Rams, so see here, the Rams show up, and they're still in their gentleman's agreement uh, stage without any black players. With the Los Angeles Coliseum Commission uh, ran the facility for the city. A meeting was set up with the Rams about renting the stadium for their home games. What at the meeting was a guy by the name of Haley Harden of the Los Angeles Times. Harden opened up the meeting opposed to teams using the public facility that blatantly excludes athletes, and this is what he said, who just happen to be colored. Now you don't hear the word colored anymore, do you, Garrett? Yeah, that that that's been um, that's been stricken from the record. Um, so you, you so when you talk about it, it's funny because usually, generally speaking, you know, segregation and, and some of those things, uh, some of the first segregation was was really struck down, happened to be through professional teams and some of those conversations um, that they had, especially when you talk about using the facilities. So you have a case where somebody says, hey, we're going to exclude black players who happen to be uh, colored or African-American. And and then what transpires uh, moving forward with this? Well, the commission chairman, Leonard Roach, 
uh, a white man, he was against all things Jim Crow. He, he didn't tolerate it at all. I mean, they're out in California. They, they didn't have those issues. So this meant the stadium was built to be used by all people. So he basically told them, if you're going to be excluding a certain race of people, you're not going to be able to use this facility. Well, the Rams had already moved. The Cleveland Browns had already moved in. It wasn't like they could pack up their stuff and move back. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so the Rams agreed to sign two black players, one of which was a, a, a graduating senior out of college uh, named Woody Strode, but the other was a, a running back from UCLA named Kenny Washington. Now, Kenny Washington in 1939 – was an absolute stud in college football. He gained over 1,900 yards. He was uh, invited to the college all-star game versus the Chicago Bears in 1940, yet nobody signed him. He was the Walter Payton, the Emmett Smith, and the, the, and, uh, the O.J. Simpson of his day, yet nobody signed him. Well, after nobody signed him, from 1940 to 1945, he played in another league on the West Coast, and he blew out his knee. If Kenny Washington had come out of college and played pro football, we would all be talking about him. Um, but so he blew out his knee. So the Rams signed him, but he was a shell of the player that he that he was before. Now Kenny Washington played college baseball and college football with Jackie Robinson. How odd is that? That's that's a crazy story. Like. <laughs> That's what. Hey, you tell your kids. Hey, you know, I, I play with that uh, Jackie Robinson guy right there too. That's kind of yep, awesome. Yeah, and yeah, and so this happened in 1946 in the fall, and you know, at the end of the summer of 1946, when Jackie Robinson didn't break the color barrier in Major League Baseball until the spring the following year, 1947. So all of this happened prior to Jackie Robinson. Now the asterisk on that is that there had been black players in the league before, so it's not like Kenny Washington was the first ever. He was just the first ever to reintegrate the league. Now, at the same time, what was happening in the AFC, and about 30 days after all this happened, Paul Brown, in training camp, hired defensive tackle Bill Willis, who he had coached at Maslin High School, I believe. Bill Willis was a, a black guy. So here he signed him, but the problem was blacks and whites didn't room together. So Paul Brown had to find another guy to pair with Willis. So he had coached a, a guy at Great Lakes in the war by the name of Marion Motley. He reached out to him. Mary Motley had five kids at the time. He was working at a factory in Dayton, Ohio. He reached out to him, brought him in for a tryout. He was still the beast that he was. And he hired them. Well, Bill Willis and Mary Motley are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame today. That that is tremendous. And obviously, uh, you know, Mary Motley is a guy who, you know, ironically just got his statue. Um, you know, in, in getting his flowers for the first time. Uh, you know, he has a statue that's built outside of uh, uh, the stadium, the Pro Football Hall, Tom Benson uh, Hall of Fame Memorial Stadium. So just got that up there, too. Obviously, uh, one of the great pros and, and, and a guy from Canton who who really, really is one of the best to ever do it. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the AFC was completely different from the NFL at that time. The commissioner of the AFC, James Crowley, he was asked by a newspaper guy specifically if black players would be allowed to participate in his league. And his answer was there was no rule that borrows a Negro player from playing. The AFC is just what the name implies. It is an all-American in every aspect. And Paul Brown, Paul Brown looked at one thing. What can you do as a player to help us win? <clears throat> His last team that he coached at Maslin High School, he won six state championships with Maslin. He had six black players on that team. Paul Brown just didn't care. He didn't care what what you were, where you came from, what you did. All he wanted to do was win. The NFL was completely different. So after the Rams signed those two players uh, for the 1946 season and 1947, there was started to be other players. And then finally, in 1949, was the first black player drafted, mm. who was um, William T- uh, Telefaro from the Chicago Bears. And ironically, he was uh, kind of light-skinned, his name was Italian, but he was not Italian. He ended up winning Italian Athlete of the Year one year because his name was Italian. That, <laughs> hey, you know, hey, you know, cultural appropriation was was around back then too. Um, you got, you know, and that just goes to show you there's there's so many different, um, I, I guess, different shades, races, dialects when you talk about. Uh, african-american culture and and what african-americans naturally are um and it's just it's crazy that you know back then they still had the misconception just because you were light light-skinned didn't mean that that didn't mean that you were you were not african-american that's still something that still has stuck around a little bit to this day yeah absolutely and you know it it just doesn't make any sense And and if you're a person that your parents taught you to be a certain way, who, who's their parents taught you to be a certain way, who's their parents, you can change. You know it's not right. Just because your your mom and your dad or one or the other taught you to be a certain way doesn't mean that you have to be that way. And, and I think that's I think that's such a, a such a great point that you bring up. And, and this is why these conversations are important. That's why I have you on uh, to give a, a, a context to the history of the game, not just giving you who won, who lost. It's about giving the real facts and the history and being a historian that you can you can show um, that, you know, this is our history and this is where we can come and grow from it. And I think these conversations are important that we have on radio and you're a vehicle to do that. So I definitely appreciate every single time you, you come on. Uh, and, and thank you so much, Barry, for the insight that you yeah. gave. Yeah, Coach, Coach Paul Brown did not tolerate racism within his team. Why are we as a society doing doing the opposite? Makes no sense. Makes no sense. Jared, I, I enjoyed my time with you. As always, thank you to Great Barry Shuck on the North Olmsted Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline, and I, I totally agree. Um, you know, sometimes you can you can come out and say, uh, "Hey, this ain't right, and this isn't wrong, or this is this everywhere in between." But it's always better if you can give somebody a story to show how far we've come, and to still give that that urge to continue to break through the uh, the barriers and to continue to move forward. 
you know, we go all the way back to the 1920s and give you an education through all the way through uh, to, to the great Mary Motley on through Jim Brown and some of those other guys. We got to continue to move the ball forward, move the conversation forward. And to do that, you have to do it in a thoughtful, respectful way. And I think thank uh, Barry for always doing that in his stories. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.